Empire Lines uncovers the unexpected, often two-way flows of empires through art. Interdisciplinary thinkers use individual artworks as artifacts of imperial exchange, revealing the how and why of the monolith empire. In this episode, Dr. Mona Narayan reimagines Britain through the eyes of the colonial Indian subject. Via Elizabeth Hamilton's 1796 novel, Translation of the Letters of a Hindu Raja. As his ship nears Portsmouth after months of travel from Asia, the Hindu Raja Zarmila exclaims in wonder, From the island of Great Britain does the wandering Zarmila now address the most beloved of friends. It is impossible to convey to your imagination any notion of the magnificence of the spectacle that presented itself to our view in this short sail. No idea of the sublimity of a fleet of floating fortresses can possibly be conceived by those who have not beheld the unequal scene. The army of the most powerful monarch of the East, though numerous as the grains of sand upon the shores of the sea, the dust of the feet of whose elephants obscures the noonday sun, cannot, in point of grandeur, bear comparison with an assemblage of these glories of the ocean that ride triumphant in an English port. Zarmila is the titular protagonist of Elizabeth Hamilton's novel, Translation of the Letters of a Hindu Raja, published in 1796 in London. Letters embodies Hamilton's new approach to narrating the so-called Asian Orient in an informative way for an interested British readership. Divided into two parts, the first set in India and the next in Britain, the novel offers an intimate and individual description and comparison of the two cultures. Stage as a set of letters written by the Hindu Raja Zarmela to his friend Mandala. Through them, we can begin to imagine Britain through the eyes of an Indian. As we read Zarmila's prolific letters to his friend back home describing, comparing, and assessing the similarities and differences between Indians and Britons, we also see him revising and rethinking his first impressions of Britain. These impressions were initially formed through his experience of Britain's merchant fleet and navy, the cause of Britain's ascendant role in Asia, and his friendships with Britons living in India. But now he starts to note how they are different from the people he meets in Britain proper. It is this imaginative rendering of the cross-cultural encounter between the British Empire and its subjects, one narrated from the point of view of the Indian colonial subject that makes the novel so unique. Anchored in his aristocratic Hindu Indian upbringing, Zarmila's views are nevertheless filtered through the 18th century British sentimentalism of the novel's author, Elizabeth Hamilton. Born in Ireland to a Scottish merchant family in 1758, Hamilton was well-educated and circulated amongst thriving literary and academic cultures. Her familiarity with Irish, Scottish, 
and English culture and her sociability with others who had lived in India served as the foundation of a cosmopolitan understanding of the world at a time when Britain was expanding its global reach through trade and colonization. Britain's linear impact on India remains far better known than the two-way political and cultural flows recorded and fictionalized in Hamilton's novel. She reports the impact of India on Great Britain in a reverse ethnographic form. Elizabeth Hamilton sets her novel in the second half of the 18th century when the British control of India was on the rise. Founded by a royal charter in 1600, the East India Company, or the EIC, had been active in trade with India through the 17th and mid-18th centuries. After the Battle of Plassey in 1757, the Mughal Emperor Shah Alam granted the EIC the Diwani of Bengal, or the right to collect land revenue. This established the company firmly in military and political control of northern India. As the company's power grew, so did the power and wealth of its officers. In a bid to harness the company, better control trade with India, and to stem corruption, the British government passed the 1773 Regulating Act and installed a Governor-General to oversee British national interests in India. Warren Hastings, the first Governor-General of Bengal, and his predecessor, Major General Robert Clive, are often credited for establishing the foundations of the British Empire in South Asia. Together, they significantly expanded Britain and the EIC's holdings in India in the second half of the 18th century. In successful military campaigns, they defeated North Central Indian rulers, such as the Nawab of Bengal and the Afghan Rohilas, and ousted other Europeans like the French. But Hastings also governed as a moderate, deeply interested in Indian culture. He supported the establishment of a Bengal Asiatic society by the Oriental scholar Sir William Jones and governed North India via policies informed by Indian precepts. During his tenure, Hastings came to believe that the existing Muslim code of laws in operation in Bengal did not protect the person or property of the Hindus, nor provide them true justice. He reformed Bengal's judicial system to be more equitable and include laws informed by Hindu religious texts. Nevertheless, he resigned in 1785 on charges of corruption. Upon his return to Britain in 1787, he was impeached, but after a long trial, acquitted in 1795. Hastings' impeachment marked an important shift in the history of the British Empire in South Asia. Britons became more ambivalent towards the colonization of North India. But simultaneously, the trial helped establish a view of Hindu India in need of rescue by the British from centuries of despotic Muslim rule. Translation of the letters of a Hindu Raja emerges from this earlier context. It embodies the British public's ambivalence towards colonization in the late 18th century. Buried within it is the search to justify the British presence in India, but also the deep interest of British officers like Hastings and the Orientalist scholars of the Asiatic society in Indian history and culture. Hamilton opens her novel with the Afghan Rohilla Wars, fought between 1773 and 1794, 
as a felicitous example of British military intervention in North Indian politics. Hastings and the British had joined forces with Indian princes to defeat the Rohilas and control large swaths of north-central India. Through the expressed sentiments of her protagonist, the Hindu Raja Zarmila, Hamilton argues that British intervention was necessary to save Hindus from the oppressive Muslim rule of the foreign Afghans and to justify the British presence in India. Other writers made similar arguments to support British colonization and trade in Asia and Africa. In his 1799 Travels in the Interior Districts of Africa, Mungo Park had also argued that Britain needed to extend its moral and economic presence in Africa to save peaceful and industrious Africans from their Moorish overlords. India held a special place in the history of the British Empire, the so-called jewel of the crown, at its height in the late 19th and early 20th century. But through most of the 18th and early 19th century, it was still on the geographical periphery. Few British subjects knew very much about South Asia, beyond those who had traveled to work with the company. However, Britain's growing ties with and wealth from Asia captured the public's interest. Hamilton's strange tale full of foreign people and exotic Indian locations targeted this popular audience. She described her novel as her black baby, a subtle hint to the growing readership of women of the time. Still, letters of a Hindu Raja sought to revise the stereotypical representations previously popularized in Oriental dramas set in the imagined East. Hamilton's Raja comments on British society from a stranger's perspective. He can satirize and critique its ills, particularly concerning gender norms. Through Zarmela, Hamilton seeks to make arguments for reform that drew on both conservative Christian and radical liberal views of the time. Challenging his preconceptions, when Zarmela travels to Britain, he realizes that British women also face restrictions like their Indian counterparts. They are not allowed to fruitfully employ their minds or enrich their lives in ways that would benefit both sexes. Hamilton criticizes ornamental education in fashion at that time, which teaches women only to render themselves objects of pleasure to the eyes of men. Though Zarmila likes Amazonian characters, like the radical philosopher Miss Ardent, it is the practical and sensible Lady Grey whom he truly grows to admire. Hamilton's broad range of women characters of different classes and ages thus guides Armilla and the reader away from the idealization and extremes of womanhood. As an Ulster Scot whose early hero was William Wallace, Elizabeth Hamilton had a long and complicated relationship to revolution and English metropolitan attitudes. She sought to question British patriarchy and drew on several precepts of the French Revolution to argue for more freedom and education for women. Her satiric characters are a testament to her belief that Britain might perceive itself superior to a culture that keeps its women in zananas but Britons themselves do not stay true to their supposed values. 
Let us somewhat follow Montague's 1721 Persian letters and Oliver Goldsmith's 1760 Citizen of the World, both stories which employ a foreign cosmopolitan perspective to narrate European society. Montague's novel follows two fictional Persian noblemen, Uzbek and Rika, traveling through France, whilst Goldsmith's novel is a scathing satire from the perspective of a Chinese philosopher living in London. But in these texts, China and Persia remain indistinct locations, with most of the attention devoted to France and Britain, respectively. Instead, Hamilton's novel both particularizes Great Britain and also seeks to present an authentic India, though this description arises from an Anglo-centric Hindu perspective. Hamilton's novel is closer to the tone of the travelogue, much like Lady Mary Wortley Montague's first-hand and informed report of Turkey and the Levant in her Turkish embassy letters. Unlike Lady Montague, Hamilton herself had never traveled to India. Her idea of India was instead informed by the study of British Orientalists like Sir William Jones and the experience of her own brother, Charles Hamilton. Posted in India in 1776, Charles Hamilton returned to Britain 10 years later to translate the Hedayah, a commentary on Muslim laws. After visiting Scotland, he brought his sister Elizabeth to live with him in London in 1788. Elizabeth supported him in his Orientalist and linguistic studies and learned about India through association. Charles and the Orientalist extensively translated, analyzed, and published Indian texts in English. But these publications were largely read by the British educated. Aiming for a more popular audience, Phoebe Gibbs' 1789 novel, Hartley House, Calcutta, presented a more positive picture of India to British readers, especially of upper-class Indian Brahmins. Encouraged by her brother, Hamilton became engrossed in literary activities and the study of Indian culture and religion. Translation of the letters of a Hindu Raja became her tribute to her brother, who suddenly died in 1792. Letters condenses and transforms the Orientalist's work about India and Hinduism into a fictional form. Like Phoebe Gibbs, Hamilton presents Indian society and culture as sophisticated and complex. Through the novel genre, she makes such subjects comprehensible for a larger popular readership in London, but also in rural areas, Ireland and Scotland. The relatively new genre of the novel was first popularized by women writers such as Manley and Haywood in the early 18th century, and later Bernie, Edgeworth, and Jane Austen. Novels generally gave women writers the power to articulate ideas in public. Though male novelists like Samuel Richardson and Henry Fielding increasingly defined the genre, they built on the success of the existing strong female readership. The protagonist Zarmila's first letter describes his meeting the Englishman Captain Percy. Percy is stationed in India and is rescued from injury by Zarmila. 
the Raja excitedly pens all he learns about Christianity and Britain from his new friend. Inspired by Percy's idealistic picture of Britain, Zarmila decides to visit himself and report his travel experiences back to his friend in India. As the novel unfolds, we travel with the Raja and meet English people of all kinds on the streets, at the theater, in card rooms, and in church. We feel Zarmila's affection for the erudite philosopher who befriends him and helps him navigate all kinds of encounters, from a London high society route to a visit to a debtor's prison. Zarmila's observations about Britain are interspersed with letters from another Indian traveler to Britain, the Brahmin Shirmal, who is much more critical of Britain's colonizing power. Shirmal thus counterbalances Zarmila's more sympathetic views. But after several months in Britain, Zarmila too becomes disillusioned and is forced to rethink his initial idealism. Hamilton's use of a satiric ethnographic technique embedded in Zarmila's Eastern point of view deconstructs the idea of an all-powerful, civilized, and advanced British nation and its nascent but ascendant empire. Moreover, the first portion of the text gives a detailed introduction to Hindu philosophy, religion, and Indian culture. Before the novel begins with letters, Hamilton offers an extensive dissertation as a preface. It is an introduction to Indian culture and key concepts of Hinduism based on Charles and the Orientalist research. Then there is a glossary of words taken from Indian languages, all intended to familiarize the British reader. Hamilton also incorporates the Orientalist's flowery diction for her Indian characters, in prose reminiscent of Sir William Jones's translations of ancient Hindu texts, such as the play Sakuntala. The novel opens with Zarmila's words. Praise to Ganesha, may the benign influence of the God of Wisdom beaming on the breast of Mandara, dispel those clouds of wrath which have been engendered by mistake and poured forth in the whirlwind of impetuosity. Hamilton also added copious footnotes throughout the book, knowledge drawn from his study of the Orientalist scholarship on India, to explain Indian culture to her readers. The novel's intricate structure provides an interesting dialogic view, a two-way flow of knowledge in which readers learn both about Britain and India, and of their culture's mutual entanglement. Through the Raja, readers also learn to assess and critique both cultures simultaneously from the inside and the outside. Thus, Hamilton advances her own complicated philosophical and political views on British society, education, and gender norms. Presenting exotic Indian ideas and reviewing British society through foreign fictional eyes, translation of the letters of a Hindu Raja was immediately well-received and widely read. Moreover, it proved a popular novel that advanced many political and social causes. Hamilton critiqued the impeachment and trial of Warren Hastings. She argued rather for the benevolence of the East India Company justifying British colonization of North India as a necessary tool against aggressive Muslim control. Letters offers a layered and complex set of arguments written by someone who herself occupied 
a marginal position in British society. Indeed, it wasn't until Hamilton's later novel, The Cottagers of Glen Burnie, published in 1808, that she became established as a major writer and commentator of her time. Interest in Hamilton surged in the 20th century on the coattails of the scholarly energy of feminist and post-colonial reassessments of empire. Most recently, studies on cosmopolitanism and Hamilton's position as an Irish-Scottish writer have deepened our perception of her work. Hamilton's novel reveals a surprising cultural exchange, an intense British interest, a colonial desire in Indian society in the late 18th century. But it was an interest that would soon be stamped out by an increasingly nationalist British approach towards Indian culture as inferior and worthy of colonization in the Victorian period. Empire Lines is produced by Jelena Sofronievich. For more episodes, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.